When the opponent expands, I contract. When he contracts, I expand. And when there is an opportunity, I do not hit. It hits all by itself. Now, you must remember, the enemy has only images and illusions behind which he hides his true motives. Destroy the image and it will break the enemy. You're traveling to another radio show. A broadcast not only of sight and sound, but of mind, mind. A journey into the wondrous land whose boundaries are that of the imagination. imagination. That's the on-air sign up ahead. Your next stop, Afro Nerd Radio. With your guides, Dee Bird, Captain Kirk, and on Grindhouse Saturdays, the uncanny Daryl D. And introducing West Coast correspondent, Miss Claire Linnae. Mind expansion engaged. folks we're back live and direct direct pardon me live and direct i'm your host d burt aka the afro nerd and welcome to another edition another funky fascinating fiery edition of afro nerd radio and remember there's even more heat on saturday every saturday with our infamous grindhouse show which features not only myself not only the the captain kirk (laughs) <laughs> the Captain Kirk, not only Captain Kirk, but of course, the uncanny Daryl B. and our left coast correspondent, Claire Linnae. The call-in number, folks, remains the same, 646-915-9620. Again, 646-915-9620. We have a quite a bit of topics to really get into. We're going to talk a bit more about the late, great rock and roll icon, Chuck Berry, and then, of course, we'll have to talk about quarterback, former 49ers, Colin Kaepernick. I mean, there's just a lot of things, some racial issues, racial demagoguery, uh, racial misunderstandings. I'm not a fan, really, of discussing race for everything, but sometimes it is unavoidable. So we'll get into it with our own inimitable style. Anyway, listen, we have uh, another chief component of the Afro Nerd Radio machine deals with urban alternative music, urban alternative music, Afro-punk, black rock and roll, revivalist soul, whatever, (laughs) progressive hip-hop, everything that conventional radio absolutely refuses to play. So without further ado, we have to give honor and deference to Mr. Berry. So one of my favorite cuts, actually, this is no particular place to go, Chuck Berry. We'll be right back, folks. Let's groove. Riding along in my automobile. 
baby beside me at the wheel. I stole a kiss at the turn of a mile. My curiosity running wild. Cruising and playing the radio. With no particular place to go. Riding along in my automobile. I was anxious to tell her the way I feel. So I told her softly and sincere. And she leaned and whispered in my ear. Cuddling more and driving slow. With no particular place to go. place to go So we parked way out on the Kokomo The night was young and the moon was gold So we both decided to take a stroll Can you imagine the way I felt I couldn't unfasten a safety belt Riding along in my calaboose Still trying to get her belt to loose home I held a crush for the safety belt that wouldn't burst cruising and playing the radio with no particular place to go The late, great Chuck Berry passes, certainly the father of rock and roll, certainly a pioneer. We will get into it for a few moments, but we also have to make a space for my partner in White Collar Crime. You know who he is. He is the captain of our starship, the starship Afro-Nerd machine, Afro-Nerd radio machine. He is the captain. Captain, you're needed on the holodeck and in engineering. Once again, let's get to it. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its continuing mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no one has gone before. Let's do it up, sir. Let's do it up. 
All right. Actually, I thought you had a diatribe, sir. <laughs> no, man. Next week. We do one next week. Okay. As a reminder, folks, you know how this works. The call-in number, if you'd like to actually join in on our discourse, the conversation, with your questions, your queries, your protestations, your disagreements, whatever, we can handle it. 646-915-9620. Again, 646-915-9620. All right. It would be apropos to discuss this gentleman. He passed at the age of 90. And you can't call that a tragedy necessarily because, you know, to be able to live to an advanced age is a good thing. Uh, of course, we would have liked to have seen him make it to 100 plus because that is happening. We have quite a few centurions uh, in, our, in our spaces, but nevertheless, uh, it, it, it is a testament to history. He was a historical figure, a very amazing and proficient guitarist, performer, Chuck Berry. And uh, he performed really almost to his deathbed. So he, he performed into advanced age. Uh, and I would say that he really led to a lot of the careers or was instrumental in the careers of a lot of musicians, a lot of, of stellar musicians in their own right. If you think of the Beatles and you think of some of the, the British performers, Rolling Stones, uh, they can make the connect to Mr. Berry. So I, I mentioned him on Saturday is when I was, when we were hit with the news and he passed on the 18th. Uh, I think it's just, I think it's very important. And, and again, and apropos because of what this show represents the fact that we do emphasize heavily, we give major burn to Afropunk and shout out to the black rock coalition, Vernon Reed, another great guitarist, Vernon Reed from living color. We, we talk about the, the newer iterations of black rock, so to speak, but the lineage for all intents and purposes, the DNA really starts with folks like Chuck Berry and little Richard. Um, and I don't think they really, really get their due for what they were what they accomplished. Uh, I believe he was the first inductee to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which again just makes sense. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame placed in 1986, and again he was the first musician to be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um, some of his hits. So ubiquitous and so often played to this day and so representative of American culture. We're not just talking about black American, a black American culture, but that he is woven into the fabric of American culture. Maybelline, rock and roll music, Johnny B. Good, uh, Roll Over Beethoven. That's just a few of the hits that he he penned. Um, wow. I mean, we're just, just, what can I say about this guy? I mean, uh, I played No Particular Place to Go, which was another hit. Uh, Nadine. I mean, it just goes on and on. Uh, mostly connected to Chess Records, the iconic, the icon- iconic record company. Um, 
and we we have to understand what rock and roll is. And I've mentioned this quite a few times that rock and roll music. I mean, now it's just called rock, and we're going to talk about cultural appropriation and how it is oftentimes misapplied. In the case of Chuck Berry, this is where cultural appropriation really, really is more, more uh, definitive. It's less, less murky when discussing people like Chuck Berry and Little Richard, where uh, we're talking about a, a time where you had blues music going into race music and race music transmogrified into rock and roll music. So it's a very fine line between race music and roll music. Rock and roll music, even the term rock and roll, really was uh, an, an afterthought from the mouth of the famed and at some point defamed DJ Alan Freed. Alan Freed used the term rock and roll music because to really make the distinction with white artists performing the music that was essentially black music. Uh, so Chuck Berry represented this weird place in the early early to mid fifties where black artists and white artists were performing the same music gaining a fair amount of of notoriety and yet at the same time on their album covers many of them could not show their faces their visages on the album covers because to be black physically for some reason was a no-no selling records in the south and having white people buying them more specifically white girls buying music and admiring Black musicians was a no-no, although that took place. That was unavoidable. You had young guys, sexy rhythms, sexy moves. Uh, Elvis Presley is called the king of rock and roll, but Elvis Presley, he honed his craft on, in, in Bill Street in the South. So, I mean, that's what – I mean, he literally, literally was mimicking – black artists and the monies the big money went to the white artists um talking about bill street i'm talking about bill street downtown uh memphis tennessee that region that's where um elvis elvis presley honed his craft looking and mimicking at black artists squarely so um, with a heavy heart, Chuck Berry passes, and I'm I'm just very. I think it's very important that we honor him and honor his contributions. Now we, he had a freaky side. I'm not going to go there. In later years, he had a freaky side, and I think the New York Post reporting on that, you know, the more uh, salacious kind of thing. I don't want to go into that. I'm just talking about the music. And his legacy and what he represents to a genre of music where he literally is, is the definer of rock, of rock and roll music. He is a definer of the genre. So 
uh, hell, uh, even on a nerd tip, you know, his song he was he was mimicking, or even a caricature of him was was portrayed in the into in the Back to the Future movie, the Back to the Future franch, franchise. But the first Back to the Future, you had um, Michael J. Fox mimicking this new sound that he discovered um, and kind of pretending to be, even in that, even even years later, in that sci-fi uh, fantasy role, he mimicked, because he went back to the 50s, he mimicked Chuck Berry. So uh, I'm just very curious as to how will, how does American culture uphold what he represented, rep- represented, pardon me, and how about black folks? You know, we're, we're so much into the hip-hop thing, and I think that legacy is going to be, you know, we're, we're, we're letting that go. That seems to be something that we often do, or many of us do. We let things go that we are the progenitors of. So <laughs> this, is a, this, is a, this is a heavy historical figure, music, that we might just let go. I hope not. Uh, I will continue to play more music from Chuck Berry and, and others as well. Uh, Kirk, any thoughts about Chuck Berry passing at the age of 90? Uh, I, I will add this. I can re- remember during the Disco Sucks era. So we're going back to junior high school time. And there was a big debate. Me against about 20 white kids. So, you know, I had to destroy them. I obliterated them. They were like, you know, you, you, what have you black guys done? What kind of music have you done? This was what was going on. So when you get to about seventh grade, eighth grade, this is where a lot of times, not all the time, but a lot of times, the white kids and black kids, they start going their separate way. At least when I was coming up. Who knows what's happening now? At least when I was coming up. So I had to obliterate them. I said, well, you know, without Chuck Berry, you know, you wouldn't have a lot of this guitar riffs and this little punk rock and this little metal rock that's coming up now at this given time, like groups like Kiss and all that. Hey, you know, this guy was the guy. He he pretty much, I'm not going to I didn't say totally. I, th- I think the word I use, for most part, okay, that, that's what it, what it was, if I remember correctly, for most part created the genre. Oh, I don't know about that. There's no way. I said, go ask your fathers. They came back to school the next day. My father said you were right. My father said you was right. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I said, yeah, because he's a black guy. You understand? You you didn't know any of that. You didn't know anything about that. So, so, you know, I I just had to obliterate him real quick. One against 20. You know, I like those odds. I'm going to win. So it felt good. I tell you this to tell you, the reason why I'm telling you this is because a lot of top artists, artists, powers that be, we'll use that terminology, gave this man the credit, all the credit in the world. A lot of them came out and said, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for this man. So it is acknowledged. It is something that's acknowledged. It's not, you know, should it be more? Yeah, it should be more. It should be even a higher placement, especially the way he played his guitar and the way he performed with the guitar, you know? 
But I just wanted to share that piece of information with you. Back over to you, Afrona. Thank you, Captain, as always. Um, I've had similar experiences like that as well. That There's always this belief that if you haven't heard it, and this can be kind of, kind of cross-racial, cross-racial, Captain, believe it or not, it can be cross-racial. But I've had instances like that, too, where because you, did, because you personally didn't hear it means that it didn't exist. I've heard this on radio. I, I remember um, I was a caller to the Opie, Opie and Anthony show which I believe is now defunct. I think there's a, I think Opie is still around. Anthony has his own podcast um, on Sirius XM, but they also started out in Boston radio and in New York radio. Uh, they would get into these racial arguments. And I, re- I distinctly, re- distinctly remember, again, talking as if they just know this. They said something to the effect of, uh, anytime black folks are in control of something, in control of something, it does poorly. Or what? What? What cities or what towns uh, did black folk were black folks uh, a part of, or did they control that worked out well? Like off the cuff, they just said this thing. Like basically, it it, it was the, the the trope of black folks aren't don't have the ability or the intelligence to govern themselves. So they were even kind of just off the cuff. Like it's just assumed that black there there are no successful black regions, black American regions, and so forth. Now, mind you, anyone who does any kind of historical analyses, uh, Black Wall Street, obviously, Oklahoma, uh, that's like an obvious one, right? That's an obvious one. But there were a, a myriad of replicated Black Wall Streets in the Americas. Many of them we are still just discovering, and what the the what the theme is. Unfortunately, this is going on during the times of the uh, postbellum period and uh, segregation, Jim Crow, that the, the the surrounding white areas were so incensed with looking at these successful black folk that. There were one instance in the case specifically with Black Wall Street where there was an allegation in an elevator that a white woman uh, was touched by a black man, not even molested, but like just just the rear was padded. I mean, something that could not really be be confirmed, but the hint, if the hint of something uh, impropriety would just have these folks explode. But mind you. We're talking about uh, extremely successful black professionals, engineers, insurance companies, bankers, doctors, lawyers, all of this in this in this multi-block radius, and it will, they were literally bombed out. And I think small reparations were, were paid to some of the, the, the um, remaining family members, I think, within the last 20 years. Remember thriving black metropolis metropolis one of a number of metropolises and the theme of many of these metropolis centers metropolitan centers they were bombed out some kind of racial animus they were disappeared but you can never have this conversation with people like the Opie and Anthony's they don't know it it doesn't exist 
Same thing with the rock and roll thing. What the what? American music, black American music is black music. I mean, that's not even uh, colleges, musical historians. You know, jazz is the American classical music. I mean, it is a truly indigenous art form created by African Americans in the Americas. It is American specific. Blues, rock and roll, rhythm and blues. I mean, the the root the root of much of the music that's played till this day comes from black people. And folks like Chuck Berry, when they say the father of rock and roll, that is literal. That is literal. Uh, let's, get in, let's get into some other things. I could talk about music, and we may have to do, we've done this before, where we have just entire music shows. Where we, not only do we play the music, but we discuss the music. So, um, we may do that at a, at a future date. Folks, feel free to buzz in. The water is warm. 646-915-9620. Again, 646-915-9620. All right, let's get into Colin Kaepernick. Colin Kaepernick. Controversial, some may say. Now free agent, former San Francisco 49ers quarterback, I remember going back a few years that he was, he was extremely popular. Um, and that's all you can talk about is how, how, how talented this young man is. And, he's, and again, mind you, he's only 29. And already we're hearing talk that his abilities have diminished. I mean, that's one element. That's one element. But what we're hearing essentially now is that uh, in the wake of his Black, Light, Black Lives Matter stance, in the wake of his, of his political um, beliefs that he may not be picked up by any NFL team. So, folks like Spike Lee, who's a big, well-known sports aficionado, he spoke up quite forthrightly on behalf of saying that there's more afoot here. And many, many believe that because of the fact that he took a knee, famously took a knee, as opposed to standing up for the national anthem. You know, that's, uh, you know, many Americans are openly patriotic, openly jingoistic, and um, re- irrespective of your ethnicity, as long as you are an American, is it is expected for you to respect the flag, to respect the national anthem, and so forth. And I don't think he necessarily disrespected the, the national anthem. But again, going by, going by what he was thinking, what he has openly stated, because of the, uh, again, I blame this on the media, and we spoke, we've spoken about this at length here at AfroNerd. The media has put out the, the, the positioning that black men disproportionately under murky circumstances, under ambiguous circumstances, have been cut down by law enforcement. So in homage to, what, to that experience, Kaepernick is a man of color. He says, I, I can't honor the flag. I can't, well, it's, it, I can't even say it's necessarily the flag, but it's the flag in co- culmination 
with the uh, national anthem, that I, I'm not particular, particularly patriotic the same way. So I will take a knee. And that was perceived to be offensive to patriotic football fans. So let me go to a clip, which is what we oftentimes do, to unpack. Uh, we will discuss further uh, our personal beliefs as to is he being blackballed to our listening audience? Do you think that he's being blackballed? We would like to hear your opinions on this as well. Uh, but let me go to a clip. I think I have several clips. Uh, let's see. Where am I? Okay. And also, and also, President Trump weighed in on this and took some responsibility and some glee for what's happening with Kaepernick. Okay. So uh, let's go to Complex News, and then we'll go to News 1. Hold on. What's going on, guys? For Complex News, I'm Speedy Mormon. Colin Kaepernick is currently looking for an NFL job after opting out of his contract with the 49ers earlier this month, but Donald Trump doesn't think he's going to be able to find one. Trump was speaking at a rally in Louisville, Kentucky last night when he inexplicably decided to bring up Kaepernick. He told the crowd of supporters that came out to see him that he doesn't believe any NFL teams are going to sign the free agent this offseason. And he said that he believes he deserves some credit for it. But there was an article today, it was reported, that NFL owners don't want to pick him up because they don't want to get a nasty tweet from Donald Trump. Do you believe that? Trump also added that he brought up Kaepernick's name with those gathered to see him in Kentucky because they like it when people actually stand for the American flag. This is not the first time Trump has taken a shot at Kaepernick. Kaepernick chose to take a knee during the national anthem before all of the 49ers preseason and regular season games last season. And while explaining why he decided to do it, one day he referred to Trump as openly racist. That prompted Trump to fire back at Kaepernick during a radio interview last August. I have followed the Kaepernick story and I think it's personally not a good thing. I think it's a terrible thing. And you know, maybe he should just find a country that works better for him. Let him try it. It won't happen. Trump is certainly entitled to have his own opinion on Kaepernick, but doesn't it seem kind of weird to hear a president gloating about an American citizen not being able to find a job? I don't know. That's just me. Kaepernick hasn't responded to Trump's latest comments just yet, but we're sure he'll have something to say about them. For Complex News, I'm Speedy Mormon, and as always, be sure to subscribe to Complex on YouTube to stay updated on this and the rest of today's stories. All right, uh, let's do a double duty with Kaepernick and the Trump connection and the National Anthem connection and the NFL not hiring him potentially connection, courtesy of this News One clip, Roland Martin's folks. Uh, a few minutes, it's, it's rather lengthy, but I'm not going to play the whole thing. You'll get the gist. A few moments, hold on. Colin Kaepernick is a free agent in the NFL, and while he is right now focusing on bringing a relief to a, to a famine-stricken Somalia, no NFL team uh, has even signed him yet after he got out of his contract with the San Francisco 49ers. Well, guess what? Donald Trump decided to weigh in on this. So last night, this is what he said cool. at his rally in Louisville, Kentucky. Your San Francisco quarterback, I'm sure nobody ever heard of him. 
I'm just reporting the news. There was an article today. I love to report the news, and then they said I made a mistake, right? I said, no, the people reporting the news made a mistake if it's wrong. But there was an article today, it was reported, that NFL owners don't want to pick him up because they don't want to get a nasty tweet from Donald Trump. Do you believe that? I just saw that. Okay. Now, what he's talking about, Bleacher Report did a story stating that 70% one executive said that 70% of NFL executives uh, hate Colin Kaepernick because he chose to take a knee last year during the playing of the national anthem. Now, Kaepernick announced that uh, in the next coming, upcoming season he would no longer take a knee. He said because he his point of uh, speaking out against social injustice, the point was received. Now, also, Donald Trump had the audacity to say, oh, no one heard of him. So why were they booing? Which means they've heard of him. Two, who had the highest selling jersey in the NFL last year? Kaepernick. Sounds like somebody heard of Colin Kaepernick. But the reality is this here. The NFL is shameful. What the NFL actually is saying is, oh, how dare you black man decide to take a stand on an issue. Now, if you have beat your woman, oh, we'll sign you in a minute. Mm-hmm. If you had done cocaine, we'll sign you in a minute. If you were alcoholic or drunk and you ran over somebody, no problem. We'll excuse that. We'll sign you in a minute. But because you dare to actually exercise the First Amendment, oh, we're going to penalize you. And also, those 70% of NFL execs uh, who will not sign Colin Kaepernick, how many of them has said a word about police brutality? How many of them have said a word when it comes to our prison industrial complex? How many of them have done what Colin Kaepernick has done and that has given a million dollars to various organizations who are out here fighting for social justice? How many of these same NFL owners and executives have raised money trying to deal with the famine in Somalia? Today, I want to have Colin Kaepernick on the show. But Colin Kaepernick is traveling today. You know why? Because he convinced Turkish Airlines to be able to get one of their planes to, 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 to deliver tons of food to Somalia. He's actually going to be in Somalia. Please, please show me how many of these owners and these executives are actually doing that, and they're all billionaires. The reality is this here. The NFL is very much run by conservative owners, and they're simply saying is, oh, no, no, no. We are not going to allow this black man to do what he did. Oh, no, we're going to punish him as a result. Now, no one has to sign any player. That's, that's a privilege. It's not a right. But let me, are you trying to tell me this here? That out of 64 NFL quarterbacks, you trying to convince me that Colin Kaepernick isn't one of those 64 when you got some straight-up bums? And I'll say it, my Houston Texans, our owner, Bob McNair, very conservative, We've sucked at quarterback for the last several years. Are you trying to tell me he can't play? But some of these... All right, you get it, folks. It's a quite, quite a lengthy clip. Uh, again, courtesy of News One, Roland Martin. Um, Cap, I'm going to give you the mic, give you the floor, your opinion. I have a lot of angles to take with this thing. So before I even get into my mix, I want give to you, give you your respect. So your thoughts, sir. Well, you have to understand something. I'm going to give you an overall view. 
with the situation. You play at San Francisco. They've had great quarterbacks with Joe Montana, great quarterback with Steve Young, all right? He's not as good as those guys, all right? Those guys are great. Those guys are Hall of Famers, all right? But that's neither here. Oh, well, maybe it is there to a certain extent because when you're a better player, people have a tendency to tolerate more to a certain extent. All right, those are great players. All right, Colin Kaepernick, I believe he ran the 40-yard dash in 4.53 seconds at a quarterback position. That makes a nightmare for defensive players. You know, <clears throat> that's a so when you watch Colin Kaepernick, I would say he's above average, great runner, and he's rather exciting. I'd probably put him at maybe quarterback number 13 or 14 in the league. That means he should be playing, people. That means he should be playing from that standpoint. But now here's the thing with the NFL, and some other players have talked about this. NFL doesn't really like distractions. You know, they really don't like distractions. Things come along, you create a distraction, even though you might be exercising your right, they don't like the distraction. They try to shut you down. That's how the game is. No one's really bigger than the game. You know? Ask the cheaters. <laughs> that always win. Cheaters always win. You got to love them. Tom Brady and them over there. <laughs> Bunch of cheaters, man. <laughs> oh, man. It's the best. Tom Brady said a few things, but, again, Tom Brady does it. He says all the right things. Now, some people will say, well, he's a, he's a white guy. And there have been players in the past that say, you know, the NFL runs some Gestapo type of stuff going on. Well, that's what the organization, that's their prerogative. Just as the man said, it's a privilege to play there. Do I personally feel there's some politics? Of course there's some politics. You're never bigger than the league, and you have to think about that when you're playing. They could always get another player, even when you're a great player, you know? The problem is they give a little bit more leeway when you're really that good. So once again, of course there's politics. Politics is in everything, man. They don't like you on your job. You might be the best person on the job. You don't get a promotion. Let's be real. Politics is in everything. If you're not so good, but people like you, and they, they can say, okay, he doesn't have everything, all of a sudden you get promotions on your job. You know, you're like, this person's not all that. Well, they like you. That's the politics. Chances are a lot of you listening right now, your boss may be less qualified than you are. You know that. Not all the time. Sometimes they're very qualified. It's the politics, though. You know the right people. They like him. And maybe the boss can make decisions that are crucial and you can't. Could be factors such as that. So once again, of course, this is politics. This is politics. Because I believe he's good enough to be playing. And he's better than a lot of these bums that we do have in the league. All right? He's not a Steve Young. He's not a, he's not a Joe Montana. He's not that good as those guys. But you could put him right there, top 13, 12, 11, 11th guy coming down, maybe 14th. That means you should be playing. And looking at all that, this is obvious. Of course it's politics. Nothing fishy. <laughs> You know, it's feces right in your face. They're taking a crap. They're letting you know, we run this. You're a player. This is the game. No one's bigger than the game. 
That's pretty much how they're operating from my perspective. And when you do things, whether you feel they're right or wrong, or whether you should be allowed to express your true feelings, your amendment rights, there's still consequences. We know that to be true, you know? You run around, you might say, well, you know, you're, you carry a gun, you're a gun supporter, you're pro-gun. People attack you for that, even though it's right there in the amendment, you know? The right to bear arms. You know the deal already. So the organization, the NFL, is a monster. It's a Godzilla. They have a lot of power. Shut you down, one, two, three. You know? Definitely. So, politics, once again, and the man should be playing. But back over to you, Afro Nerd. All right. Again, folks, you're listening to the Midweek in Review edition of Afro Nerd featuring Captain Kirk. We have quite a few folks on hold. I know that uh, a lot of our listenership, they like to listen from their cars, from their cell phones. But if you'd like to join in, remember to press 1. Press 1. It's a virtual hand raise. It's like raising your hand like Horshack from the uh, Welcome Back Carter series. Uh, that way we know you want to join in. So press 1. And again, 646-915-9620. 646-915-9620. All right. Uh, I have a tendency to be somewhat verbose. It's very difficult because I do think of these things deeply. So I'm going to try to take some of the angles of this story. Now, it may be somewhat repetitive because we've, we've covered Kaepernick before because he, he has been a controversial figure. And I, I should say, I don't perceive him controversially. That's the funny thing. I don't perceive him controversially. But the media has put him out there as this controversial black person because he's taking this stand. Um you know what? I see we have a caller. Let me go to the caller, and then I will also give you my two cents as well. Uh, you've heard me speak on this before, but I, I have a, a number of things to our listening audience that I think you might find interesting as to how I really feel about how this is going down. Uh, 314, welcome to the Midweek. Tell us who you are and where you're calling from. What's up? Well, I'm calling from the Midwest. It's Pianchi. Hey, you know, up, man? How are you? I have pretty good. You know, athletes should remain neutral and stay out of politics because of the repercussions. If you're going to do that, then you might as well get ready for the consequences. And the simple reason is quite obvious. Who are the ones that are your season ticket holders? Who are the ones who are your major advertisers? And who are they advertising? To, the products are being sold to. You should have activist groups that does those things who don't have anything to lose. But when you are an athlete and your career is a short career anyway, even if you don't raise your fist or say anything or speak out, you shouldn't be getting involved in those things. And there's been plenty of examples throughout the history of sports that we know of that uh, have shown that. Now, it's a different day back in Jim Brown in them days, but uh, today things are more sophisticated, it's more widespread, and uh, the consequences can be greater. Uh, well, you know, first, uh, I appreciate you calling in. I appreciate your opinion. Um, I, I have a slightly different take. Not that, not that, not that dissimilar per se. I mean, what you're saying is, is a reality. If, if, if an athlete were to just kind of play it close to the cuff, 
not cause any trouble and collect your check. You know, that's that's really the operative the operative way of, of approaching your career. And we this this is pretty evident. You have a few athletes that have done that. Michael Jordan famously has, has been critiqued by African Americans somewhat by, by taking that position that you just stated. That, you know, he he for many years I mean, and look he's damn near a billionaire because of it. But the only problem I have is I think it's it's a precarious position. We we see people, these athletes and entertainers. I'm gonna put them in the same in the same boat. Especially over the last 20 years, there's been a merger of athletics and entertainment. So I find it very interesting that you can be a minstrel, as I say, a neo minstrel, be somewhat uh, embarrassing, and it, that's fine. Some of these hip hop artists are saying things and and doing certain things that 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 conform to a certain stereotype, but it's not necessarily political. It's just being a clown. If you're a clown and you exhibit aberrant behavior, that's okay to the corporates. But if you take a political position, whether I personally agree with the position or not, that's a problem. That is why. That is what makes me. A bit incensed. I got to repeat that to the audience. If you exhibit aberrant behavior, if you are essentially a clown, whether you are a, a performer or a athlete, that is okay with the corporates. But if you have somewhat of a cogent political position, that's a problem. You have you have uh, these, these 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 rap artists, these neo minstrels that are, are saying all kinds of reprehensible things that should be should be offensive should you should be uh wrapped by by the by uh certain audiences i mean there should be a problem for you for being ignorant and that's okay but if if you're political that's not okay how do you explain that well you just hit the nail on the head when you said their audiences it's their audiences that they that are satisfied with what they're doing. They're satisfied so much that they're willing to patronize monetarily their products that they're putting out. But in another arena, it may be a different story. Their audience may not like what it is that you're doing. Their audience may come. Their audience may come from blue collar, hard working, as they would describe it. Americans, and who have a certain allegiance to symbolic icons like the flag, especially suppose it was veterans. You know, veterans is a market for sports, NFL, and you have other organizations that's a market for the sport that's produced by the NFL. So you have to walk a very tight, tight line because you got. You may have what they need, I mean, what they want, but they got what you need. And that's the ability to put out cash that's going to equate to revenue for the league, for your team, and also your contractual obligations. Now, you know the funny thing about this is that I've seen athletes, and not only in athletes, but I've seen in other disciplines too, people who stood out there, and yeah, yeah, I'm for this, and so on and so on, and people standing behind them. But when they're down on their back, them people ain't nowhere to be found. 
Nowhere to be found. That should have set an example for the next person who decides whether or not I should get out here and be a vocal, visible activist, or should I just go ahead about my business, make my money, get out of the league, then at that time do something positive or constructive to that cause. Well, well, uh, and thank you for your call. Thank you for for your support. Um, I, I do want to mention this to the captain as well. I think you might you might have uh, you might remember this, Captain, that right about the time that Kaepernick took this position, that he pretty much secured his money. Is that correct? I mean, he's a very wealthy man. I mean, he was able to get his contracts in order, get his monies guaranteed, and then he took on this this position. Is that correct? Yeah, allegedly he's supposed to have some money put away. You know, he didn't get defecated on by the contract system. Allegedly. <laughs> Continue, so sir. The, so, so there was some kind of cogitation going on with him being able to be political and also maintain his finances. So I think that is just being smart. Um, I guess, I guess what I and I think you remember what I was saying at the time, my position. I don't necessarily agree with um, Kaepernick fully. I, I'm I'm halfway there. Appreciative to see. Uh, just to be to have full disclosure, I was just appreciative to see a young man of color speaking articulately about something that he was passionate about. Not that I necessarily agree 100%. I may be 70% there. I may be 65% there with Kaepernick. Uh, longtime listeners to the Afrinerd Radio Machine know that I'm not, I'm not a full BLM Black Lives Matter supporter. I'm not full with that. I, th- I think that it's been misapplied. I mean, I've spoken about this forever. Uh, Black Lives Matter ha- ha- has to matter in its totality. It has to matter in the aggregate. It can't be uh, something that is, is um, selective. I think that Black Lives Matter is a very the – way, the way that the, the movement is, is, is positioned, it's very – select lives only matter if it's a white police officer bucking down a man of color. Now, the intra-racial violence, that is a problem in, in some of these communities. Again, emphasis on communities, not community. Communities, you have pockets. It's not the entirety of black folk. Black people come in, in all, all varied strata. You could never have a real conversation about what black people and other ethnicities are about. They, 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 uh, the media are, are very adept and adroit in positioning us as this one pulsating, one-size-fits-all type of people. We vary politically. We vary uh, ethnically. We, we vary just like everybody else. And there are pockets of urban communities that are problematic. And Chicago is front and center. And if Black Lives, if black lives Matter with the police that may be exhibiting malfeasance, then they have, to, they have to equally matter when, as collateral damage, your child, an infant or, or an elder person, that has to matter equally so. That's why he wasn't looking at it, looking at it that, from that perspective. His thing was, these cops are out of pocket. Something has to be done. Okay, that's part of the story for Black Lives Matter. And, 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 but at the same time, I'm like, hey, I don't agree fully. 
but I appreciate seeing an intelligent black person with a point of view where we normally or, or oftentimes see entertainers and athletes monosyllabic, not necessarily having any interest in anything but self-aggrandizement. It, you know, it's, it's a mess. It's, it's effery. It's bitchery, a new word of mine, uh, that I will allow. It's bitchery. It's effery. That's what we oftentimes see. And the, the, the bottom line for the corporates, if you act like a minstrel, that is okay. That's the part that gets me. Now, something else with the Kaepernick story, and there's a lot more topics we have to get into, but I have to, when you heard the response from these jingoists, oftentimes white jingoists that were very confrontational and had a problem with Kaepernick, it drove me insane. Because this idea that black folk and white folk operate the same space. Now, I'm a conservative, moderate, but I'm, but I'm, but I'm a realist, and I'm honest, and I know my facts, left, right, or otherwise. Um, the, the idea that, 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 that both ethnicities operate in the same space and have historically operated in the same space, patriots, is a falsehood. So this assumption on the part of the white jingoist that a black person has the same the same experience or his his or her experience uh doesn't count it's important to just kind of overlook some overlook some things because rah rah America you're being intellectually dishonest i got to this this is the part that really got i've never heard these jingoists answer these questions you know uh i've said this before i say this kind of jokingly because we this is a, this is an afro nerd show this is a nerd-centric, nerd-centric show. I love Time After Time, you know, based on the 1979 film with, with uh, Malcolm McDowell, and now it's a new, new series with um, – uh, who, who's um, – Cap, who's um, – what's her name? Oh, she's a hot one, too. She is uh, – uh, I can't remember the woman of, the woman of color. Anyway, she's, she's an actress on there. It'll come to me. Anyway, uh, Time, time traveling shows, and even um, Timeless, the actor on there, has said this as, as comedic effect, but it's real. We can't go back in time, you know, if things being all fair, if, if being a patriot. I can't, go, I can't go back to 1950. I can't go back to 1930. It's not going to be quaint for me. I can barely go back to 1970. Or let's go back to let's go back to 1845 as a black person. I mean, we're not all the same. You have, you have black soldiers, the um, the Harlem Hellfighters, which is an upcoming movie, I believe. Um, uh, Mel Brooks's son, Max Brooks, who has a graphic novel series, which I, I would advise our listenership to actually get. The uh, Harlem Hellfighters. Uh, one could liken them to being the predecessors to the Tuskegee Airmen. The Harlem, the Harlem Hellfighters fighting in World War I as men of color, returning home, and the, the, the white populace would rip the, the, the uniforms, the, the, the U.S. uniforms off their backs, even though, even though they went to fight for the Americas as American citizens. But you came, you came back, you didn't get the credit for that. Uh, World War II, black soldiers 
freeing or being instrumental in the, the freeing of, of uh, Jewish victims in Dachau and Auschwitz. When, they, when it was time for American soldiers, soldiers to take Nazi POWs, to, to, to take them in on train rides, the white soldiers, Nazi, I'm sorry, the white Nazis, criminals, were allowed to sit in the front boxcars of these trains, and the black patriots, again, uh, unquestionably hero- heroic behind them. So, I mean, the color thing was still going on as patriots. And I've got to bring this one other. I mean, these, these are just facts. This is not something in my opinion. I know facts. These are not alternative facts. And when you get into the, the, the Francis Scott Key Star Spangled Banner anthem itself, again, I have to ignore that Mr. Key was a slave owner, that he was a, he was a noted anti-abolitionist, and that he, he would refer to black people as a distinctly inferior race. Uh, there's a line. There's a line that's oftentimes omitted in the lyrics of the Star Spangled Banner. We we normally sing the first verse. Um, Key actually wrote three verses. In the third verse, I'm gonna I'm gonna look this thing up. I have it here somewhere. Uh, there's a part where he's he's very clear about where black people stand in the national anthem that we're supposed to put our put our our our, our hands over our hearts. And stand up for. I mean, there is there is a bit of bitchery afoot, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, I mean, this is this, how how am I supposed to resolve this? How am I supposed to be patriotic? But and, and when Kaepernick, I'm going to get to the lyrics. But when Kaepernick first came out with this stance, okay, let's say you disagree. The man was called the N word by people telling him to be patriotic. Now, what's up with that? The minute I, I do something you don't like or you disagree with and telling me I'm supposed, I'm supposed to be patriotic, but you're calling me an N-word in the same breath. See, that kind of irony, bitchery, effery, something about that drives me insane. Anyway, it says here um, – I'm going to read some of this. And where is that band who so vauntingly swore that the havoc of war and the battle's confusion – a home and a country should leave us no more. Their blood has washed out their foul footsteps pollution. No refuge could save the hireling and slave from the terror of the flight or the gloom of the grave. Let me repeat that. No refuge could save the hireling, which really is the poor white uh, indentured servant. This is what people want Kaepernick to be deferential to. No refuge could save the hireling and slave from the terror of flight or the gloom of the grave. So you know what he's saying? F-U-Ns. That's what he's – I wish this was an after-dark show. F-U-Ns, that's what the omitted portion of the, of the anthem that – that Kaepernick is supposed to have deference for, and again, his detractors call them the N-word because, they, because of it. I, you know, come on. Please, please. Someone's got to admit to me that there's bitchery afoot. Anyway, more calls. That's the end of it for me. 
My, I'm a logic-based person, if you haven't guessed, to our listening audience. I deal with facts. I don't do alternative facts. What's going down? Okay? I'm very proud to be an American. I'm very, I'm very um, uh, fortunate in my place in the world. I understand that. But I know that it was a, it was a whole line of bodies and pain and struggle that preceded me to be able to walk around comfortably. And mind you, today in the Big Apple, a man 66 years of age, mining his own beeswax, a racist coming, I think, from somewhere down south. I don't know the full story because it's a, it's a horror show. Another Dylan Roof type. And I can make the connection with some of, uh, some of the uh, collateral damage intraracially. I can, make, I, I can do that. But I have to take note that this uh, white male, relatively young male, was searching for a black person, any black person, stabbed this man to death, unprovoked, honorable, well-behaved, not the problem, mature black male. And he was stalking a number of black males indiscriminately in New York, and he happened to choose this, this 66-year-old again. Not a problem. Stabbed him because he was looking for a black man to kill. This is what's going on. Okay, that's enough for me. That's, that's my liberal moment. Anyway, 703, welcome to the Midweek. Tell us who you are, where you're calling from. What's up? Hey, this is Bison for Life calling from outside of Washington, D.C. Thank you, sir. What's up, man? Nothing much. Just a couple of things. Um, I think you're trying you're drawing you're trying to build a straw man with something here that's sort of is two different things. Um I know I know sports is not your wheelhouse, so um you know, we've been going over it in the chat room. Um Kaepernick could be back in the NFL because he's a quarterback and a quarterback is a commodity. Like anything else, it, it you know, it, it should blow over by the by the season. If not, he'll go to Canada, and when a team quarterback gets hurt or two, or the backup gets hurt, somebody give him a call. This is the league that, you know, you can beat your wife up, you can kill people in an auto accident if you're drunk, you can still start on Sunday. So we'll see by the football season. Like anything else, this is going to have a, this is going to have a lifespan, and this is going to die off. I do want to make a correction on a couple of things you said. You went to World War One. You know, African Americans fought in World War One before the U.S. entered the war. African Americans fought for France. African, the first African American pilots flew for France. Um, they touched on it in a movie. I think it was called Flyboys. Um, a little bit on that. But well, well, well Bison, Bison, Bison. I'm gonna let you, I'm gonna let you finish. But you know, how, you know what we do here? I mean, we had a gentleman from France call in, comic book, referencing that the war, the, the, the war you're talking about, where uh, these black soldiers were essentially imported to fight, quote-unquote, the Great War. And, and was it France or was it, it was, uh, yeah, it was it France? No, it was about Spain, Spain. So we had a gentleman with a comic book that we even, we brought that up. Uh, we, you know, we, you know, we did bring that up. Deaver. I'm not talking about a comic book. I studied this at the War College. So, I, I'm I mean, not. This, but it, well, listen, I'm just telling know, you the know, comic know, book but, is based. You know, I know. I the comic book is based that, on the story. It's a historical. Comic I know book, that, man. but I'm talking about the story. I mean, let's let's deal in reality. I'm talking about the reality of what happened. <laughs> okay. Right. Because what happened, 
you know, you mentioned uh, Black Wall Street a lot in your um, talks. Where do you think the Army Air Corps learned how to bomb? That's where they learned how to bomb. They, they got their schematics and plans from what happened at Black Wall Street. So um, I, I just don't think you're trying to don't let's not try to humanize who 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 who's always thought of us as less than human. There's no logic. I know you know you may come from an engineer standpoint, but I'm not going to try to figure out races. I'm going to try to defeat them and live my life. I, I think that's just part of the problem. You know, it's just and that's just something we've always done. I mean, we've always lived in, a, in in hostile territory, and you had literally had just have to build your you know your house and sit sit by a shotgun by the open door and hope nothing happens. I mean, now all of a sudden, all these these events are the only thing has changed now about instances of racism. They're reported quicker because of social media and um, the, the tools we have now. There's nothing's changed. People was getting shot, stabbed, and hung when I was coming along, when you was coming along. This is nothing new. It's just being reported. And now that the black man is out the White House and we got someone who's conservative, a certain, excuse me, a certain side feels emboldened. But they didn't start, excuse me, pardon me on that. They didn't start treating black or brown or other people badly on November 9th. It's always been there. So that that's just my thing with that. I just I just I you know I kind of get a little hot when we try to normalize this sort of thing, and it's always been there. We got to find a way to deal with it. I, I think our reaction of dealing with it is incoherent and and and, and scattered, not all over the place. And that's my problem with Black Lives Matter. You trying to get someone to look at you? Try to you trying to get somebody to look at you as human, which they've never done. And I'll stop there. I, I've, I've talked too long. I just wanted to sort of bring that up. <laughs> All right, Bison, as always, you appreciate your thoughts. Uh, you know, just respectfully, though, I, I think we're kind of mentioning the same thing uh, twice. You know, when I mentioned the comic book with the gentleman from Spain, it wasn't a comic book as far as fantasy. It was, it was, it was his interpretation of history. So, you know, when we bring these things up, not that I, we need credit, but there's got to be a uh, – we've got to be accurate about what we do here at AfroNerd. And a lot of what you're saying, we have said this. I mean, Captain, am I? I mean, I don't want it to be kind of coming out of my mouth. And we respect Bison's opinion, but sometimes I feel as if what we do or what we say is not interpreted correctly, or there's kind of a, a misstatement of of what we're doing. We are very much a fact-based show, so we're not just throwing this stuff up out of thin air. Uh, we constantly we constantly put out references. We tell you the links, the books, the people. We're not one of these shows that we're, that we're not uh, on our stuff. And if we make a mistake, we will make the correction. So I'm, I'm a bit confused. Uh, and even with what Bison said, uh, as far as uh, racism kind of always being here and, you know, this is nothing new, how many times have we said that ad nauseum? Uh, oftentimes, our position from some of our listeners is that we're too cold and that we, we don't understand. And, we, you know, our thing is we're past the emoting. I think he's repeating what, what, I, what we say all the time. Am I, am, I, am I off on that? I'm always yeah, saying. To a, yeah, to, to a certain extent. But uh, sometimes the listeners, 
not all, sometimes they want a run-up. You know, you have to constantly give them a run-up. You know, like like one particular time, you know, I was on there and said, oh, I didn't apply the facts. I said, I said, this is the sixth time of me saying it. Yeah. So I thought, it, I thought, you know, more or less that who's understood at this given point. You know, you got to give them the run-up all the time. You got to give them the run-up. You don't give them the run-up, they, they act like more or less you're making it up as long as, you, you know, the way you go the first time. got to give them the run-up. That's about it. And, and Those actually, things have been said on the show. Haven't I also said, we have another caller. We'll get to the caller in one second. Haven't I also said, Captain, that uh, we, I think I've said it verbatim, let's stop psychoanalyzing white racists. I said that too. Yes, you said that. Yes, you have said that. Ad nauseum. I, I, I'm a believer of that. I'm not into. I mean, you I'm, said I, it was I, crazy. It is crazy. It is. It's insane. Go to the psychoanalyze. I'm not doing that. Yeah. I mean, it, I mean, I think, I think maybe it's so embedded with Bison that he thinks that, uh, he, he, he just kind of got there with that. I mean, we, we've been saying that for the longest. We say it all the time. As a matter of fact, this is not the show like conventional mainstream black radio where we do pity parties and we just lament and we act in shock. Shock and awe is my famous terminology. The shock and awe for those who exhibit race, racial animus who, who happen to be white. Uh, and we know there are progressive white folks that listen to our show. Uh, shout out to John, John out there and, and others coming up. Um, they're, not in, they're, not in, they're not in that wheelhouse. They're not the problem. We're looking for logic-based people that are about the business. Okay, but uh, am I going to? But for those who are crazy as hell, like this young man that stabbed this this black per, black male for no reason in Manhattan, a sixty six year old man that that sixty six year old man was was his problem. He's in, he's clearly insane. Clearly, I'm not going to psychoanalyze that guy. I just wish that I just wish that many of our media outlets would would stop acting in shock and awe and wondering why is this happening. <laughs> Why is it happening? You know? Anyway, another caller, and then we go to a groove, uh, and then we'll, we'll go to a different topic. I think we, got, we have to talk about, um, wow, I want to talk about this image. It's another racial thing, but in the, the opposite of this story. This is the, the next topic after the break and after this call. I want to talk about this painter, uh, this artist, who reinterpreted the death of Emmett Till. The name of the piece is called Open Casket. And many black folk are upset that a white, pant- white painter uh, painted black pain. I'm completely I- I'm, I'm out of this. I have no idea what that is. I don't, know what, I don't know why she can't paint Emmett Till. But people are upset. They're calling the museum. She's out of Brooklyn. It's becoming a thing. So after the, the caller, after the musical break, we'll talk about that effery. Okay. 360, welcome to the midweek. Tell us who you are, where you're calling from. What's up? I'm Ben up in the Northwest. What's up? Um, How are things? I heard, I heard you talking about Kaepernick, and I just wanted to give you kind of my logic on on how I felt when I saw the news headlines. It seemed ironic because he was already – representing the top 1% of the top 1% of the world in his situation. He was wealthy. He went to an Ivy League school. He was a quarterback with a big contract. Mm -hmm. Now, 
I respect his First Amendment 100%. And I don't know what the contract says between his his end and the NFL. But he knows, he knew before he signed the contract that the NFL is a huge friend of the flag. The flag is all over the NFL. Every jersey has it. Every a lot of helmets have it. Big on the fields, you know. Yeah, I what think he think? knew what he was. I think he knew. I think he knew what he was getting into. But I think when it came down to the legalities of it, <clears throat> excuse me. Well, I look think what happened. Is, look what happened well, to their team. Their season was horrible. It, obviously, he was causing their team to struggle to get along, and they looked. They looked bad. They looked, you know, undisciplined. And they lost a lot. Well, I mean, there's a couple of things going on here. If you want to get into his uh, athletic ability, from my understanding, he's still a decent quarterback, but his abilities have somewhat diminished. So that's an element working its way into this thing as well. I mean, if we're going to talk about that, that's like a side issue that no one wants to really talk about. But he's still good enough to be still put out there for someone to pick him up. So the politics appear to be playing somewhat of a role. I'm not even disagreeing with you with maybe uh, what was going on made him a polarizing figure. I'm not even saying that. But when it came down to the bare bones legality of being able to take a stand, from my understanding, legally, he was able to do that. The the NFL really didn't have uh, any wherewithal with a person kneeling, putting their hand over over their heart, standing up. Legally, he was was within his rights. He didn't really have anything uh, that was that was uh, deleterious towards NFL rules. He was allowed to do that. But as far as the optics of it, the optics made people uncomfortable. Now, I would I got to say this again. I'm just, put, just putting out facts. I've I've seen my fair share of athletes of of black, white, whatever. I don't even like to talk about race all the time because it's just we're sending people to the moon. We're looking at different – we've got the Hubble, the Hubble uh, telescopes. Talking about coloring in the 21st century, it just sounds stupid. I don't – I mean, it's just your color is a problem. It just sounds crazy to me. That's not what I'm talking exactly. about. But people, exactly. Exactly. I was looking – It just sounds dumb. If you look – sorry. No, I'm just saying it just sounds – when we talk about – well, I don't have anything – I don't have, any, I have a problem with your color. I'm like – Color is like a benign characteristic. It's like coloring. It's too small for people who are trying to advance. You know, we, we look right. at we know the, we know people, DNA, we know. We, hold on one second. We know DNA strands. We have cars that are going to be driven by themselves. This is not the talk of advanced people. All right, it is effery. It's bitchery. I'm looking at it from that perspective. That's why I have no. I don't care about the racial thing. Some people do. I don't want to be a primitive. That's my take on it. Go ahead. Right. It's it's the numbers are wrong because they're lazy. It's massive laziness, and it starts at the government. It, look at the Census Bureau and how, how they count people. All the forms that you have to fill up, fill out. Uh, you have limited options on what you can describe yourself as. You. If you if you look white, you have to choose Caucasian. If you're Pacific Islander or Asian, which is how many different countries, you have to check that box. And I have a friend who is black and Dominican, and he speaks Spanish. So which one does he choose, Hispanic or African-American? 
really, what 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 does that information have to do with the price of tea anywhere? What does it really what does it do for 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 a person to have to? I mean, I think it's important for cultural reasons. Culture and race are different, but I'm not even going. I'm not even going there with that. My issue with 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 the the uh, Kaepernick thing, and I'm just speaking for someone who's not really a heavy duty uh, athletic offic- athletic aficionado. I like some sports. I'm not into it like some people. I'm not I'm not crazy about it. My issue with this is is this. Uh, I gave Kaepernick a pass because I was just I was just happy to see a man of color who was articulate, who had an opinion, and it was able to kind of just he wasn't like the ignorant stereotype. So I, I looked at it for that. I said, okay, this guy is just an okay guy that kind of knows his stuff. I didn't get that deep about his kneeling. I was like, wow, he's an articulate cat. We need more of these. I like I like Russell. Um, who's the other cat with with Ciara, uh captain that the uh, Certain black folks don't like. I like him. Ciara's husband. Russell Wilson. Oh, Russell Wilson. Yeah, Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson is a very articulate, straight-up, Obamian type of cat. I like those kind of people. Oftentimes, the, the media likes to put out minstrels. They're comfortable with those type of black people. I'm just, that's just my thing. So I look at it from that perspective. But also, I gave him a pass because the media, the media puts, put, put it out there that Black folks are getting killed by the cops. Now, this is a very uh, sophisticated argument. Some folks don't get it. Yes, black right. people. Well, that's, some black, that's well, let me lazy my point. too. Let me finish my point. Some black people. Some black people are being killed under mysterious circumstances or ambiguous circumstances by the police. Okay, that's what the media is putting out there. What the media will not tell you, which, which we said on this show, is. Yes, let's say it's two to one, right? Two to one. A hell of a lot of white people who are also getting bucked down by the police under murky circumstances, so much so that white people should be up in arms and saying, what are you doing? But because we follow the, the nose of the media, the black person getting killed appears to be sexier. But there's a lot of scholarship out there that, yes, more black people are getting killed, but there's a lot of people, black and white, if you look at it in the totality, that white people, if they weren't so concerned, if we weren't all invested in, wow, these black people are getting killed, you should be asking, why are so many people, black and or white, being killed under cer- certain circumstances? So following the nose of the media, that's why I gave them a pass. But if you real, if you took a look at how many white people have been getting killed, very sim- in very similar fashion, the way black folks are being being killed, you would be up in arms. But you're not. The media is not giving you that because guess what? Not sexy. And that's the truth. Well, what's What's the difference between how he grew up and supposed white privilege? He got every benefit that's accused of white privilege people. Well, listen, that helped, I, I can give you a quick answer. We have to go to a quick break. I can give you a quick answer to that. He's still living in the skin that he's in. We can't give this excuse that because someone is successful. That's something that I find somewhat uh, dishonest. That, well, he went to an Ivy League school. He, uh, he lived, he lived with, with, with white parents or he lived a good life. What does he know about being black? If he steps out of, the, of society, 
he may get caught up just like anybody else would get caught up. That is a reality. We can't just excuse because he had a different experience that he doesn't he can't connect to other black people because he still has to walk around. If he walks around, I mean, there's it, it, been cases of black folks that had everything going for them, and they were killed because of collateral damage because they were black. You still have to live a black life. You can't excuse him because he did better. And because he does better, does that automatically excuse him from looking at other people who have it less? You've got to be fair about that. So anyway, I appreciate your, your support. Continue listening. Again, the Midweek in Review, every Wednesday, 730. Cap, let's go to another group. I'm going to lay off with Chuck Berry, and then I'm going to come back. This is a Black Rock, Psychedelic Soul, Urban Alternative Station channel. We try to give everybody uh, a, a taste of alternative groove. This is Fishbone, one of my favorite groups. Talk about Black Rock and Roll. Properties of Propaganda. <laughs> Right on time. Fishbone. We'll be right back. Let's groove.
All right, we're back, folks. Give you the best of Urban Alternative Group, Black Rock and Roll, Afropunk, Psychedelic Soul. That was the Mighty Fishbone. Man, it doesn't get any better than them, folks. That was Properties of Propaganda. We'll get back to more groove from the mighty and iconic and late Chuck Berry. Trust me on that. The call-in number remains the same, folks. 646-915-9620. Again, 646-915-9620. Um, you know, I just got to kind of repeat something, Captain. I remember hearing, if we have enough time, we were supposed to talk about her, by the way, Tommy Lauren, uh, about the Kaepernick situation. And she brought up that same thing about, you know, he's got all this money. He's led, he's led a, a cush life. Why should he delve into this issue? It's, it's, it's as if because someone is successful and black that they can't relate or they shouldn't relate or they shouldn't say anything uh, in connection to their tribe or to their brethren. And I'm like, okay, let's not be silly. Like, just because someone makes a lot of money, all of a sudden, he or she is supposed to, it's, it, it comes off as if it's a payoff for not being able to speak up. I find that offensive. Like, I don't even know what that is. But it, it, it's kind well, of, it's, it's like, it's a way of saying, like, okay, so this other stuff, that's going on with, with black folks that are of, of lesser means. That, that's not legitimate because there's no money behind it? Cap? Well, here's, here's the thing. This is what we have to realize, everybody. A black man is not going to know what it is to be white, and a white person is not going to know what it is to be black. Now, we've said on here racism is a type of insanity. That may be fine and dandy, but... <clears throat> Race is a factor, you know, and certain things you're just not going to be able to relate. So those type of arguments, those type of developments, those type of trying to deconstruct the situation coming out of someone's mouth needs to stop because it really doesn't make any sense because race is a factor. It's just the reality of it. You understand? Whether you're privileged or you're not privileged, it's going to be a difference. It's going to be a difference in perception. Perception is reality. We need to stop talking about that from that perspective. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. White is white, black is black. And you're going to be perceived differently because race is a factor, unfortunately or fortunately, depending on how it works for you. That's the reality for it. That's the reality with it. That's all. All right, folks, um, let's move things along a bit. We've got about a little bit over 30 minutes remaining. I, I wanted to to uh, shed some light on this issue. It may be more of a local issue, but I think it's trending. And it's, it's further insanity. I'm lost on this. And again, it's another food coloring issue. I use the term food coloring because uh, I, I become incensed when someone talks about someone's coloring. I, I don't see color or your color doesn't, doesn't bother me. Like, aren't we, did we land, did we land on the moon like almost 50 years ago? And we still talk about this. I mean, this, just the way that we talk. I want to. I, I got to be clear with people that at some point we have to become advanced people with how we see things. And I, I can't. I've, I find myself over the years not really being emotionally invested with many racial issues because of the way that it. it um, the way that we word things is just problematic. Your color. I don't find a problem with your color. That's like someone saying, well, I don't mind your haircut. <laughs> I don't mind your height. I mean, you know, 
is your color should your color be a problem for somebody? I don't care. I mean, it, it's just a, it's very primitive. It, I spoke to the captain about this. It comes off as if it's it's uh, the 12th century. We really haven't moved beyond the 12th century and the Salem witch trials when we actually speak that way. Even intraracially, when we talk about you know light skin versus dark skin, and I use terms like plantation Olympics. I'm trying to advance people. I understand that these are realities. I understand it, but you should be able to kind of uh, become, take yourself out of it and look look at it for what it is. So when I listen to people, I automatically go into this, this mode to our audience that, okay, I'm dealing with a medieval person and I feel better. <laughs> Maybe I feel superior. I don't know. Probably the, probably the latter. But I look at a person, even if it's a white person, and they start spewing some kind of racial thing. I say, oh, you are a troglodyte. I see you. It, it makes you feel good. But some other black person will, will get, if a white person calls a black person a nigger, a nigger, I, sit there, I would sit there and say, uh, okay, because you call me that, that makes it true. You also believe that the world is flat. Some of you still, even some of our own, believe the world is flat. doesn't mean it's true. But because a white person said it, I have to give credence to it. No, I don't do that. Anyway, uh, what, this is part of my insanity, folks. There's a story out of Brooklyn of an artist, Hannah Black, who happens to be white. <laughs> but her surname is Black. Testers. Uh, I'm sorry. Pardon me. Dana Schultz. Dana Schutz. Schutz. Let me pronounce it correctly. Let me get. Let me get the players. Let me get the actors correctly. Hannah Black is is the one that's putting out a petition. She is an artist, but she's putting out a petition to remove Dana Schutz's open casket picture painting. The open casket, that's what it, it is entitled, the open casket painting, in a rather abstract way, the infamous photo of Emmett Till where he was disfigured in 1955. Emmett Till's mother, those should know this story. Amazingly, many millennials, many folks do not know the Emmett Till story. I was born many years after the Emmett Till story, but it might as well have been yesterday because my parents made sure those of the Generation X, those who may even be Generation Y, I think many of their parents made them keenly aware of the Emmett Till story. Anyway, uh, Emmett Till allegedly whistled at a white woman visiting from Chicago, uh, was killed, and his uh, killers were let go. Within the last couple of months, the woman that he allegedly whistled, whistled to or whistled at uh, said that it really didn't happen like that. So it took like 60-plus years for her to admit that this was really a bunch of bitchery. Um, so anyway, uh, you, have a, you have a white artist in Brooklyn who painted – it's in a museum – uh, the Whitney Biennial, 2017, Whitney Biennial uh, launched this public showing, and now you have quite a few black activists 
that have a problem with a white artist depicting the open casket of Emmett Till. So I'm completely lost on this. I mean, it's gotten to the point where they have sanctioned people to stand in front of the painting to block it to block its view. Constant calls. Like all this stuff is going on. And we so many of us are incensed about the fact that this person's coloring, likening it to food coloring, her coloring isn't right to depict black pain. So I'm completely I, I don't I don't get this. I'm gonna I'm gonna read a little bit of this story for specificity from the Daily Beast and then we can we can dig on in. Uh it's entitled Protesters Want This Painting of Emmett Till Destroyed Because the Artist is White. Matter of fact, I'm gonna put the, the link to the article in the chat room and our listening audience can have at it. Some of this stuff seems like fake news, but continue. Uh, yeah, we, we, you, we, you would think, I can't believe, I don't see, I, I'm, it sounds absurd. Tana Black has launched a petition calling on the Whitney to remove and destroy the painting. Dana Schutz's open casket currently on show at the museum's biennial show. Before it opened to the public, the 2017 Whitney Biennial was la- lauded by critics for definitely addressing the political and cultural turbulence of our times not just the Trump era, but our country's broader socio-political climate and racial tensions during the Obama years as well. A group of protesters have arrived at a different conclusion. The biennial has exploited the, exploited the black experience by displaying a white artist painting of Emmett Till, the teenager who, brutally murdered, who was brutally murdered by two white men in 1955. British artist Hannah Black has launched a petition calling on the Whitney to remove and destroy the painting. Dana shuts his open casket, which depicts Till's bludgeoned face as seen in a photograph of his open casket funeral service. Uh, A handful of people also protested the painting in person last Friday, the biennial's opening day, standing in front of of it to block it from public view. All right. Uh, Didn't Sam Jackson say that British black folk don't understand this stuff? I guess he stands corrected. Anyway, um, say something. Yeah, go ahead, please. Now here's the thing. Now, what if a black person did do this painting? Now it's in the gallery. Who owns the gallery most of the time? <laughs> yeah, well, who owns the gallery most of the time? A white person, a lot of times, right? So you sell the painting. They still get some of the money. The gallery makes some of the money. See what I'm saying? You, you, you see what I'm saying here? You, you get my point of view here? Where does where does this stop? You got to keep going. If, if this is what you're going to do, you have to shut down the whole gallery too. A lot of times, not all the time, but a lot of times, there's a white person that owns that gallery. I'm not saying that's the case here. You know, maybe it's a black person. I don't know. You know, but the galleries I've been to, they're white guys. Not to say it can't be a black person. You see, you see that? Just, you see what I'm saying? So you have to go all the way with this if, if you're gonna if you're going to do it. You know, you gotta go all the way. Yeah, I don't know. 
I don't know. Maybe, maybe I don't know anything, you know, Affleck. Maybe I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Back to well, you, well, Affleck. Well, Cap, if you, if you remember, I had to call you up to ask if my opinion is right or, or, or what should my opinion be. I, I didn't even know what to think about this because it, it did sound like, are people really angry about this? Like, what am I missing? Because I, I'm so diametrically opposed to many mainstream black uh, beliefs. I, I think maybe years ago, years ago, I think I was more in line with mainstream black thoughts. But when you start to be a critical thinker, a lot of the things that black folks are upset about, I just don't get to think of myself as being a, an evolved uh, uh, socially or racially conscious black person. Like, I'm not, uh, I'm not an idiot. I'm not crazy. I understand about racism. I know what it is. Um, I'm not confused about anything. I have a pretty, pretty uh, decent grasp of history and of the present. But I'm confused on why this... Let's say this white person does this. Uh, we, we have... We have so many of these same black folks that make appeals to white people to understand the black experience. Or you, under, you don't understand. You need, you need to understand. So we go into these lengthy, lengthy recitations about trying to get understood. This white woman says, okay, I get it. And I'm going to draw this in, in remembrance for this tragedy. She remembers the tragedy. Now, where my insanity kicks in, because we're talking about, quote, unquote, uh, I mean, talking about, quote, art, close quote. Little Wayne is supposed to be a hip-hop artist. He creates music that some would say is artistic. Not to yours truly, but hey, I'm not going to go there. But some would say that he is an artist. In his art, a few years ago, he wrote a lyric in a very vulgar way, likened a sexual, his sexual prowess to what he would do to a woman's private parts to such a degree it would be, it would, it would be like the face of – the mutilated face of Emmett Till. Okay, that is what Little Wayne did on Wax. Now – he was somewhat called out on that, and he lost a contract with Mountain Dew. Okay? Now, the part that drives me insane is, A, I thought that was so prehensible, especially for someone who is a black person, if we're going to be tribal. I go in and out of tribalism. If we're going to, be, if we're going to do the tribal dance, and this is supposed to be a black man who really – in a very vulgar way, attacked one of the greatest tragedies and one of the greatest victims that precipitated the civil rights movement. That's what he did. Like, who would even think to do that? That man's career should have been ended. He should have been, he should have been ran out of town. Okay? He should have been, it should have been a lot more than just losing a contract. Uh, God, that got it passed over. And what makes it even more reprehensible is that just as you, you and me, Cap, we were raised with this Emmett Till story, many black folk, I'd say maybe the cutoff point might have been Generation X, maybe Generation Y. 
which I find frightening. Frightening. Many of us, even born after Emmett Till, know about the Emmett Till story. Millennials, post-Generation Y, those folks actually were asking who was Emmett Till because of, uh, because of Little Wayne. So are, are, are the elders, are these SJW, even these SJWs, the, these, these, these people, are they comfortable that some of, some, some of these young people just found out about Emmett Till through a vulgar Little Wayne lyric, through his art? And no one is protesting. No one's standing in front of the radio stations. No one's trying to shut this guy down. And he doesn't know what Black Lives Matter is either, allegedly. I mean, this is a clear minstrel. Clearly. So his minstrelsy, his art is okay. This white woman who's trying to bring attention to a tragedy. (coughs) Pardon me. We want to run her out of town. His label mate, this is the ad nauseum. I see that our friend from, from the DMV, we got to bring him in. It's going to get hot. It's going to get hotter. <laughs> oh, yes, sir. <laughs> I mean, I want, I want black people to, I want, we got to knock this off. We got we to cut it out because I refuse to believe that what I said cannot be understood. I'm very articulate. I know what I said. I know what I'm saying. I know the logic. The logic is irrefutable. The math is irrefutable. The Root has an article about this, the, same, um, the same issue, the same controversy. They have a word called white peopling. Okay? They're saying that this is a case of white peopling, I-N-G, white peopling. It's supposed to be cute. It's supposed to be acerbic. It's supposed to, it's supposed to be an insult. Mansplaining white peopling. Can, can we agree that if you come up with some ish like that, 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 that there could be a counter to say black peopling or nignogging? Because there's certainly people nignogging. Captain, your favorite word. The American Akata. We got to go into it. The American Akata, the North American Shine, and the nignogs. Okay? Just like white folks have Appalachians, Billy Bob, Mountain Dew, Mountain Dew Guzzlers. Okay? We, we just get into the reality. All right, black folks have their their uh, version of those people, but we don't we don't want to talk about them. The ghetto the ghettoists, <laughs> the ghettoologists, those folks we seem to be we want to put them front and center. Enough. Who are these people? Uh, his label mate, uh, Hot and Tot Venus, two thousand seventeen, Nicki Minaj had an album cover a few years ago entitled. Looking ass niggas, I kid you not. An album cover that had El Haj El um, El, uh, El Haj Malik El Shabazz, Malcolm X, photograph looking out the window. But in, on in, uh, on top of his head, it was entitled "Looking Ass Niggas." It was a, a quick dust up, and when she her response was, "What is it now? What do you want from me now?" You see what I'm getting at? These mistrals are as problematic as the racists. They're they're cut from the same cloth. They're the same problem. Nick Dogs and racists. Same people. And we can't say anything. That's it. Frank for the DMV.
301. Is this BA? Black Achievement? Yes. Sir, Thank you. always thank you, man. Go ahead. Yes, yes. Let me say this. Um, the Whitney, is that privately owned or is that part of the New York City government? Is that a privately owned institution? You know what? That's a good question. I I would think it's part because, of the New York government, though, isn't it? I don't know. If, I don't, you know what? I can't, well, I can't well, say. Well, I'll find well, out. Here's the thing. You know, and I've been – they said that this painting is part of the Whitney's biennial right. uh, celebration. And they use that dreaded word, uh, diversity. Here's my only concern, and it, it's a concern that not only uh, pervades the arts, but in just about every – uh, 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 art form or profession that the black men and women are limited in what they can offer and be accepted by the larger white mainstream society. I, I just feel as if, if this painting was done by an American black, it wouldn't be up there. It wouldn't get no play. Just not. I, 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 I think that as a white person, you can portray, depict the evils of racism. It can, because you're white, it just finds an easier route to the Whitney. I just think that uh, I want to know in the Whitney today, not only at this exhibit, but the Whitney's last 150 years, how many black artists have they had on their walls? American black artists, I think we'd be surprised to know that it's virtually nil. When you look at all the paintings that are in the Whitney, I mean, what are black artists to do? So this is the black artist's way to cry without being penalized, mm-hmm. okay? They're crying, okay? And, and, and they're doing so in this respect that it won't bring any penalties. Because the real cry is, why in the hell aren't our work up in these mainstream art galleries, you know, I, it, it, it even goes down to certain forms of. Uh, I remember when when Django came out. I said, Django would would never have been made or thought of by a black director, a black filmmaker. That's it true. Was easier. It was easier to get in the mainstream theaters, which it did. It was easier to get in the DVD realm and the premium. Cable realm with uh, uh, the white director. It's easier, you know. Blacks tend to shy away from the real gut-wrenching art, you know. Even in terms of our fiction, our literature, uh, we, it, it, we, we most of the nonfiction that I read about African-American history is written by whites. Mm. If you look at black, black studies, uh, African-American studies departments across this country. They're taught by surprisingly, whites. Yeah, surprisingly, it's, it's, it's taught by whites. Uh, tenured positions are garnered by, by whites. How, how did that happen? What are the blacks to do? If blacks are to make it, the way we make it is via the, the Ben Carson route. 
People got to understand this. You you, you got to uh, be an apologist for uh, white racism. Okay, be a, a a substitute for the white mind in blackface. You you find it a, you you find your road a little a lot easier. So when I look at this protest, I, I think it's something behind. You can't be protesting the picture. The, I mean the art. I, I understand that. I I saw it, and you know, it's, I, I don't know. It looks like she, Matilda has a blonde wig on. I don't know. I don't. Know, but but <laughs> it, 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 it's it's beyond. I, I think it's something else, you know. And, and then when the when the Whitney attaches diversity to it, sometimes to me diversity is like a cold blade in my gut. Because it's like everybody's talking about diversity. And I look at your roster. I look at your employment executives and, and, and directors. I mean, there are no black men. <laughs> but but you, 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 you force it. And nobody speaks out against it, of course, because you don't want to be ostracized. You're already ostracized, but you don't want to officially. I mean, of course, you're already ostracized. It's not about it. But you don't want to be officially blackballed, blackballed for a reason. But you're already blackballed. Don't get me wrong. You blackballed. So I mean, this is a way for us to cry, and I don't know. I don't know what 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 what's to become of. But I would like to to counter this because uh, I don't mind the, the 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 artwork by the white woman. I don't because this is what they do. I don't mind that. But let me see, see. Show me what the blacks are doing. What the black artists are doing. Put their work up. You know, put the top twenty five black artists and just put their work up for the next year at the, at the Whitney. Can we do that? No, I don't think so. But put some of the black work up. That's well, my you know, only problem. You know what? You know what? Um, Ba, as always, as always, you have me to rethink this because what you, the, the way you have positioned the argument, I can't discredit the reasoning. Now, the way the story has been put out there, the way the root is positioning it, the the way the Daily Beast is positioning it, they're putting it out there as if these white folk, these black folks, are angry that are white artists is doing a black painting and that she is, or, or, or that she's channeling back a black pain and profiting off of it. it it's not as in, it's not an in-depth analysis of what you just presented, where it's about these people need to be saying, wait a minute, what about having black art and black artists who, who do this every day, all day long, and it's not getting as much burn. That's a different argument than just saying, we don't like this black woman, this white woman doing a black thing. Because that's like any white blues singer. I mean, there's many things that white people are doing, uh, interpreting it as art from a black, you know, from for for blacks or giving a black spin on it. But you're white. We've seen that, and we it is that's a more concrete analysis of cultural appropriation. You know, there's, there's a girl. Um, we may not have enough time to address it, but it's on along the same line with this Massachusetts basketball player. Uh, got into a, a, a tissy fit, uh, a hissy fit because uh, a, a competing team that these white players, white female players, had their head, their hairstyles in braids. So they, she was one of them was physically attacked. Now I'm saying, okay, that's a, a one lone white person wearing their hair in a certain style is none of your damn business. Okay, you can't you can't attack somebody, someone's physical being because you feel a certain kind of way. That's different than Bo Derek in ten right. running along a beach, and she's she's considered beautiful and making millions of Nicole dollars. Rose. And, and and 
a black woman can't even have that hairstyle and get a job. Exactly. A white woman, exactly. a white woman exactly. gets a, gets has a hairstyle and the doors open up. She's edgy. This is cool. I mean, we've seen this countless times. That's a totally different argument. You know, when we speak about uh, Little Richard, Little Richard performs Tutti Fruity, and it goes one way, and then Pat Boone does it, and then oh wow, that's talent. That's a hit. It goes a different way. Same song, different coloring. <clears throat> that's a different argument. So I, I guess what you extrapolated this and went in a different direction that makes more sense. I'm not seeing these people articulating it the way you're saying. It, this comes off like an SJW move. Like I don't like this white woman doing this thing. That's that is way too way too uh, primitive uh, and simplistic. But yes, yeah, one, 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 one other thing. One other thing, Deep Bird. I, I, I would also be more interested in reading an article that shows me the channels, the routes by which this painting went from, you know, on the canvas, someone is, you know, this this white woman's, I can't, I can't, I, what, what's your name? I, I'm tired. I don't, I don't mean to call her white Dana, woman. Dana Schutz. Uh, Dana Schutz. Dana Schutz. It's in her studio or gallery, whatever. How does it go from that point into the Whitney? What are the channels, what are the connections and networks that allow that to happen? And it, are those, is, is that same channel and network available to black artists? And you're going to be surprised. That is not. You, 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 you can't get on the walls of the Whitney. You know, and that's, the, and, and, and that's the frustration, I would think, that black artists feel. Not so much that you put the white uh, uh, Ms. Schultz uh, uh, artwork up there, but what's next to it? And if and if blacks did show their anger or show some hostility in the way that they feel they've been portrayed or treated this country through art, is it too powerful? Will it get a chance to to make it? Or we, like I said, will you be noted as that angry black artist? You know, will we have to shy away from you? You know, and, and that's I, I just think it's more to it. But I appreciate it, deeper. Thank you, sir. Okay, thank you, man. Listen, uh, this, I'm going to go more, more uh, this, for the sake of specificity, I've got to say this. I, I, this is what's going on. We've got about four minutes remaining. Folks, remember we have the Grindhouse. We'll talk about much lighter fare. <laughs> we might. We have the f- firebrand Claire Lene, so we don't know how this may go. It, it, usually, it, it gets hot and heavy even on our Saturday show. But, you see, Cap, uh, as always, yes, have, you know, the, the, the type of listeners on, on our show, as you would expect, are very tight, which I appreciate. They're able to present a cogent argument, and I'm, I'm, not, gonna, I'm not going to deconstruct what he said because it, it, it bears a lot of truth. But I think going deeper into this article, these black folks are not positioning themselves the way that he did. This is not their argument. Now, now if they presented the, that argument the way that B.A. did, which, which is a better argument, I would support that. I think it's a lot of tr- I think it's a lot of truth to that. Uh, the his Django argument, which was spoken about, that I love Django, but uh, and even Quentin Tarantino, he probably knew that he his white face was able to channel that where it would it would get approved approval and make half a billion dollars. Logically, who would think that a slave movie would make half a billion dollars? But it did. A Southern that was a Western. Uh, Spike Lee would have done that, or any other up and coming, or let's say an up and coming, more recent 
black director. I don't know if he would have gotten that that uh, that kind of cred. Anyway, what I'm hearing here, what I'm seeing here is uh, shuts or shoots. I think it's shuts. Shuts. She's not profiting off of this. She doesn't want to profit. She does not intend to sell this painting. The Whitney Museum may be getting ticket sales out of this, but the artist does not intend to sell the painting. She's looking at this as a political statement. Okay. <clears throat> now, black folks are, are, are unsettled by this. Again, these petitioners, what's being put out there is uh, in a statement to the Daily Beast. Okay, wait a minute. I'm just going to shut. I'm trying to make sure I get this straight. Yeah, more than 30 people have signed a petition, which began circulating Facebook on Monday afternoon. That even, that even the disfigured corpse of a child was not sufficient to move the white gaze from its habitual cold calculation is evident daily and in a myriad of ways, not the least the fact that this painting exists at all. Uh, I can't, we only got about a minute remaining, Captain. But from what I read, what it really boils down to, black folks don't think that a white person should be channeling back, uh, black rage. They should be nowhere near this. It, it really boils down to this person being white and not being allowed to paint this thing. Um, that's different than a Whitney Museum that doesn't – Like it, it would be – I would have less – I think there would be less of an argument if the Whitney Museum routinely showcased black – minority art that was equally as visceral and gaining this kind of attention, allowing the opportunity for these white art, for these black artists, for them to get the shine that this white artist got at the Whitney, to have that uh, venue. That's a different argument than just being upset that white people shouldn't be, shouldn't be anywhere near uh, black pain. I'm not buying that. Seconds remaining, Captain. Any any closing th- thoughts? Then we got to get out of here. Do this again Saturday, six p.m. Comic Shop. Folks, always a pleasure. More Chuck Berry. This is rock and roll music. Of course, Saturday, six p.m. The Grindhouse. It's been real. Just let me hear some of that rock and roll music. Any old way you choose it. Got a backbeat, you can't lose it. Kick against my head Unless they try to play it too darn fast And change the beauty of the melody Until it sounds just like a symphony That's why I go for that rock and roll My love one over across the track So she can hear my man a wailing track I must admit they have a rockin' band Man, they were blowing like a hurricane That's why I go for that rock and roll music Any old way you choose it Got a backbeat, you can't lose it Any old time you use it 
way down south they gave a jubilee. The Joshi folks, they had a giant tree. They're drinking home from a wooden cup. The folk dancing got all shook up. And started playing that rock and roll music. Any old way you choose it. Got a backbeat, you can't do this. Any old time you use it. Gotta be rock and roll music. If you wanna dance with me. If you wanna dance with me. Don't care to hear them play a tango. I'm in the mood to dig a mambo. It's way too early for the Congo. So keep a rockin' that piano 